0: Welcome to My Belonging, Episode 9, Reparations, The Politics of Belonging. Categories are useful only if they create liberating solidarities. It's been years since one of my political science lecturers at Tufts University's Fletcher School, Professor Pearl T. Robinson, imprinted that wisdom on my consciousness, etched it there indelibly forever. Categories are useful only if they create liberating solidarities. In her scholarly way, she was cautioning me to avoid the trap of putting convenient labels on people and things. As human beings, we try so hard to make sense of the world, to unravel the complexities of an unpredictable, sometimes scary existence. So we label people and we categorize things, attempting to simplify life. If something is either this or that, with no room in between, black or white, good or bad, right or wrong, true or false, or if we can call people conservative or liberal, capitalists or anti-capitalists, this social class or that social class, democrat or republican, this political party or that political party, one religion or another, one race or the other. We can more easily discount the humanity of the ones who seem not to be like us. We can minimize their day-to-day struggles, joys, sorrows, insufficiencies and experiences. We don't have to admit that as human beings we are more alike than different. We end up putting people in boxes, creating unfortunate limitations for ourselves and others that can be extremely difficult to overcome. We isolate and tie the other to false narratives of what people of that sort should look like, how they're supposed to behave, what they believe, how they live, what they're capable or not capable of achieving, fueling personal prejudices, bigotries, and misplaced expectations. This makes it easier to overlook those who aren't like us, the people we don't understand, the ones who aren't part of our preferred social, political, cultural, racial, religious, or economic order. But it also makes it just as easy to favour the people who are like us, to give them preferential treatment, to push them to the front of the line, to allow them unearned privileges that some other individual was actually more qualified to receive. So Professor Robinson gave me permission to use categories and labels only if they create a sense of community, only if they hold space for people of all sorts to be empowered, to fully experience and fully express freedom, equality, shared understanding, and social acceptance. Specializing in race, colonialism, and African political culture, Professor Robinson understands something about the politics of liberation, about the potential and perhaps the limitations of reparatory justice as political institutions in Africa and the Caribbean define it. Her course on political transitions in Africa had a lasting impact on the way I see the world, highlighting the importance of nurturing civil societies that support new kinds of political participation outside of the domineering, oppressive structures of an elitist, all-sufficient, all-powerful government or state. Scholars like Dr. James Wanch professor of government and politics at Crichton University, argue that these absolute centrist forms of government, many of which are holdovers from colonialism, disable societies at the grassroots level because not only do they dilute the importance of people making their own way, they also rule out opportunities for them to nurture collective solutions at the local level that address shared community challenges. In other words, colonialism and its remnants have taken from formerly colonized people the ability, the need, and perhaps even the desire to solve their own problems and build resilient communities on their own terms in their own ways. This dependency has been strengthened by an enduring system of party politics, a political culture, if you will, that gives and withholds access to power, resources, status, titles, positions, and the decision-making apparatus of the party in power based on loyalty to its leaders and their agenda. Dependent as Caribbean countries are on this elitist, centralized, command and control model of development, rooted, as I always say, in the plantation, it will be difficult, if not impossible, in a technologically driven 21st century world, for the tiny social democracies of the English-speaking Caribbean to make the transition to innovation economies. I recently came across an article published in the November to December 2019 issue of the Harvard Business Review titled, The Leader as Coach, How to Unleash Innovation, Energy and Commitment by Herminia Ibarra and Anne Schoolar. It argues that in the face of rapid disruptive change, Companies are realizing command and control leadership is no longer viable. Many are moving to more collaborative democratic models of engagement. If companies are recognizing the need to change how they lead, what about governments? And if the way governments lead needs to change, that change can't happen without a correspondent change in the Caribbean's dominant political culture. National transformation without political transformation is failed transformation. People, particularly the kinds of young people Caribbean countries need to help reimagine the future, people with the ideas, capabilities and character to build nations, aren't going to put up with an oppressive political culture that doesn't create room for them to be fully themselves and to reach their maximum potential. They'll root themselves in more fertile ground, even if it means leaving the Caribbean to do so. Paradoxically, quite a few of the young people who end up staying in the region are the ones whose options are more limited, the ones who might lack the confidence and capability to be the change the region needs. Many then become frustrated, lose hope, and opt out of civic engagement, largely because of what has become a toxic political environment. What the Caribbean needs is a new politics for this new time, a politics of inspiration that unlocks national creativity by eradicating political nepotism maximizing collaboration and raising a new type of Caribbean citizen fully equipped to thrive in the 21st century. What the region needs is a new politics that brings hope to a renewed people, a politics of belonging. American lawyer, social justice activist and law professor, Brian Stevenson, provides good reason for Caribbean countries to pause rethink and reform outdated political systems. You judge the civility of a society, he says, not by how it treats the rich, the powerful, the protected and the highly esteemed, but by how it treats the poor, the disfavored and the disadvantaged. In other words, how we treat people who aren't a part of the ruling class or the party in power, or who don't toe the party line, says much about a nation, the character of its leadership and the quality of its civil society. Again, categories are useful only if they what? Create liberating solidarities. Categories and labels aren't particularly useful in advancing a country's national development if they embolden the powers that be to take care of their own or give access largely to those who blindly support the party in power, sidelining the others, making them irrelevant, invisible and impotent. The nature of politics in the Caribbean, the way political parties are run, the way the political culture is structured, all this needs to change if the region is to navigate the complexities of a challenging, highly competitive digital age. It defies logic and beggars all understanding to champion national transformation, expecting it to be realized without the corresponding transformation of the very political parties and political culture that form and lead national governments. Caribbean people have the right to a new politics of belonging that unlocks in this generation their creativity and innovation. It's a politics of hope and national transformation capable of raising a new type of Caribbean citizen properly equipped to engage in and with a 21st century world. At a time when electorates are better informed than ever, political parties will find it increasingly difficult to win hearts and minds if they keep failing to deliver on the promise of transformation. In creating a new politics for a new time, the Caribbean might do well to apply the principles of design thinking, a disruptive process that helps teams understand stakeholders, challenge traditional assumptions, redefine problems, and create innovative solutions as a collective, test those solutions, perfect them, and then implement them. If this can be applied to problem-solving in business, why not in government and in the redesign of Caribbean political culture? In this context, it might also be useful to recall principle number two outlined in this podcast's Episode 8, Part 2, Foundations, the Principles of Belonging. Principle number two of belonging is decentralization. The idea that in digital spaces, influence isn't centralized. It's distributed, flowing in myriad directions, any point a center, each user a potentially powerful promoter in networks whose value grows with every new connection. Collective wisdom, connection, community, collaboration. Impact manifests differently in decentralized spaces. Yet, governments have the authority, the reach, the control of citizens' personal identifiable information to exercise a certain level of dominance in any society and economy. Striking a balance between empowering diverse communities of people and regulating dominance is a necessary manifestation of the principle of decentralization. But its goal always ought to be to return grassroots power to the people, giving them control over more aspects of their everyday lives. Connection, community, collaboration, collective wisdom. This is the power of belonging.